and welcome to an angelic episode of the Planet of the Lies podcast. We might be here in the city of Pittsburgh and somewhere within uh, suburban Maryland, Frank, but we take it this Sunday to the City of Angels, Los Angeles SoFi Stadium, home of Super Bowl 56. Uh, 56 old Super Bowls, Frank. Uh, we've been alive for about 22 or 21 of them. Uh, how hyped are you for this one? Oh, extremely hyped, Rotom. And uh, way to stick the landing there on the intro. And it, it's too bad, you know, that we aren't actually in Los Angeles for the spectacle as as you know, people might not know, we had plenty of media offers to come do some live uh, performances in uh, L.A., but, you know, uh, c- conflicting schedules and uh, some, some other things came up, but um, maybe next time. But either way, uh, very excited for this Super Bowl. As always, uh, greatest spectacle uh, in the in football, maybe in all of sports, but you know, at the same time, it's uh, it, it's bittersweet because this does mark you know, again, the end of another fantastic NFL season, uh, which will give way to a long, way too long off season. So it's uh, it's it's conflicting feelings. I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah, it definitely is going to be conflicting. I mean, we've gotten more football this season than we ever have in, in any one season of football, and it's going to make it feel so so long uh, to be missing out every week. New stories, new players. I mean. You know, players going down, players going up, players going a little too fast, players beating the crap out of people after the Pro Bowl. You know, it's been it's been a wild ride of a season. And I think the fact that this is the Super Bowl we're left with, uh, these two teams, the, you know, I guess we can leave them unnamed until we get to the actual game. But uh, it's been extraordinary. The playoffs were great. The regular season was great. Uh, and I am excited to see how it all ends. You know, it's, it's the end of the movie, final act, uh, and it's the climax scene. And I'm excited to find out how it ends. Right, exactly. And and if this NFL season was a movie, I think the the floor is, you know, looking at at least a four-star movie, but if we're if we're gifted uh an all-time level Super Bowl or a rare good Super Bowl, could be looking at, you know, five stars here. And you know, I think this Super Bowl does have the potential to be really good. It's not the matchup that anyone would have predicted before the season or even before the playoffs probably. But um all things considered, I think uh, I think we're in for an entertaining matchup, and I think one that's good for the league too, because you know two number four seeds, uh, the number four seed in the AFC, the number four seed in the NFC, uh, it's you know that's parity, and I think parity is uh, is good for the NFL. So I'm excited. Yeah, not just two number fours, also two teams that haven't won the Super Bowl at least almost a century. You know, the Rams did very beginning of it. Bengals never have done it. They were one twenty five to one. Uh, to win the Super Bowl at the beginning of the season, which is absolutely insane odds. And I think you're spot on. No one would have guessed this. Maybe the Rams being here isn't too big of a surprise, but the Bengals making it all their way. So, uh, you know, we, we talked about him for a little bit. Let, let's break down. Let's get right into the game, Frank. I think there's it's it's the meat of the episode. Uh, it, it's the meat of this Sunday. Yeah. Money line at plus 170, Cincinnati's way. No one should be surprised by the fact that the Rams are favored here uh, at home at a spread of minus 4.5. And over under 48.5 is the final main number here. Um, and I don't even know where to start here because this is this is crazy. It's obviously the first ever matchup these two teams. Uh, the first, second time you know a team is going to be hosting a Super Bowl in their own city, and I don't know, Frank. You know, I guess let's start with that. How much of a factor do you think that is? Last year, obviously, we saw Tampa Bay ravage the Chiefs in Tampa. Do you think Los Angeles could be in for the same destruction of Cincinnati purely based on the home fans? Yeah, that's a. A great question. And I don't know, honestly, because I think a lot has been made about uh, Los Angeles with 
this Rams team, and I guess to a lesser extent the Chargers, is, you know, do they actually have a strong uh, home field advantage? Because I don't, I don't think people think of L.A. and think of a football town necessarily. You know, it's obviously Hollywood. Maybe basketball is more the predominant sport. So I'm not saying there's not diehard Rams faithful. And I think there are, and, and you know, that will be present in the game, obviously. But at the same time, you know, there's going to be a lot of A-listers, celebrities, and maybe just casual football fans that are filling up, you know, some of the box seats as well. So I think home field advantage is a factor, as it always is and should be, especially in, in the Super Bowl matchup. But to what extent that gives the Rams an advantage uh, in this game, uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it's anything crazy, but if you disagree, I'd, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. I don't think I do. I mean, specifically because they only have been here for a few years, and even the stadium is pretty new. So it's not like Los Angeles faithful have left their mark. It's not as if they were playing in Lambeau Field with the Packers behind them, or even like even something like Mercedes Benz with the Falcons. I feel like there's mm-hmm. there's not the same vibe. This isn't a team that's like home and has grown fans for decades and decades. Um, but I think the, the the interesting part about this to me is is the number, the current spread at minus four and a half. I think we talk about this all the time. Uh, NFL pretty much, NFL odd makers pretty much agree home field advantage is worth just about three points. Uh, and if you're mm-hmm. considering this a neutral site, it seems like LA, Las Vegas would actually be thinking it is a one and a half spread. So do you think that Las Vegas is actually giving that three points or you think this is about as fair as the line should be? Well, I think maybe they are giving him the three points just, you know, based on consistency. That's usually, like you said, a home field is worth the three points. But I also think I'm not I wouldn't be shocked if if that's just Vegas saying straight up and even on a neutral site, the Rams are, you know, four and a half points better uh, than the Bengals. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that assessment. And if home field is factoring into this, it wouldn't surprise me because. I think just based on the two teams alone, it should be closer to maybe a field goal spreader, maybe a max of three and a half. And I think it was closer to that range um, when this matchup, you know, was first finalized. But uh, over the past week, week and a half or so, it's definitely moved a point or half a point in the favor of uh, of Los Angeles. So I'm not sure really what's playing in to that trend, but um Four, I mean, four and a half is an interesting number. But what are your thoughts? Where, where are you leaning on with that number? Um, well, I'm definitely leaning Bengals' way. I feel like we've seen a few, a few kind of lopsided Super Bowls in the past few years. Uh, notably, the last time we saw the Rams there, and obviously the last year's drubbing of, of the Chiefs. But it feels like this is the exact kind of moment for a team to step up and really show out in the lights of Los Angeles. And I think both of these teams are very much built that way. Obviously, we've got the star-studded cast that plays in L.A., but also the incredibly fire-powered Bengal offense, or even Tiger offense, depending on how you really look at it, um, that mm, the Bengals nice. possess. That's a good one. Uh, thank you. Uh, the this it, it feels like this is a Super Bowl built for Los Angeles. If last year it was in Los Angeles, maybe the Tom Brady effect uh, would do it, but this, this, all the names, everything we know about these two teams, kind of the stories behind both of them, and I think... It's hard to ignore the stories, the fact that they, how young the Bengals are. And I've, I've been saying it the entire playoffs, but LA has been a team of destiny since they started trading draft picks away for Brandon Cooks. I mean, not having mm-hmm. a first-round pick for the next four years, this team has to win a Super Bowl or else everything is counted as a failure, whether it be Von Miller, whether it be Odell, whether it be even looking back at Brandon Cooks 
who played in that last Super Bowl for them. It, it's it's been a long ride for Sean McVay, and I feel like not having a ring on his finger after two attempts would be be kind of tragic for a guy that really deserves it. Uh, and, and that's why I think this is perfect for LA. I think they the Rams thus kind of maybe deserve a little bit more uh, on that home field. I I know that Cincinnati is very different from Los Angeles, but still knowing that all the stars are going to be there, we'll get to it later. But obviously, a lot of Hollywood actors are expected to be there. LeBron, Magic, Clayton Kershaw, you know, all of the the Ed Jack Nicholson, all of the classic LA fans will all be there. And that's not something that Cincinnati really has. You know, outside of Kid Cudi, can you name someone famous from Cincinnati? I can't really. I know. I mean, Gronk played there at school. I mean, they had a good college football team this year, obviously. So, I mean, you know, Cincinnati football-wise is definitely, uh, it's been a, a good past few months. But like you said, the, the notoriety is definitely, in comparison to L.A., is definitely uh, not there. But, you know, on the four-and-a-half number, I, I, I'm definitely leaning, I think, Cincy plus four-and-a-half. And... I mean, you look at what the Bengals have done, and it's well documented now in the playoffs. And I know, I know this very well, seeing as I've, I've picked against them in every single game. Uh, they've covered in every single game in the playoffs. They're three and zero against the spread. Obviously, three and zero overall. But then, even dating back to the regular season, the final four games of the regular season, uh, they were undefeated against the spread as well. So they're clearly on a hot streak, riding some momentum, and I think. If any, if there was any doubt that the Bengals belonged in this spot, I mean, you have to put that to bed after what they did in the AFC Championship game, being down twenty-one to three in Arrowhead against the Chiefs, and somehow miraculously coming back and winning that game. I'm sure. I mean, like me, I'm sure you were watching that game and at halftime, uh, you thought for sure that the Chiefs were going to run away with it and cruise to another Super Bowl appearance, and that obviously. Did not happen. You have to give the Bengals credit uh, on both sides of the ball for the way that they were able to pull that game out, but also the previous two playoff games, which were pretty close as well. Yeah, those playoff games, you added in the extra game they played in Arrowhead. And, I mean, doing that twice, beating beating what I, I don't know about you, but I, I consider the best football team in the league twice against the best quarterback and doing that with the better side of their, their field being defense was impressive. Uh, and some more numbers to throw in the Bengals' way. You know, the Bengals are 8-2 against the spread away from home. 7-3 straight up. And they've been road warriors all season long, notably in Arrowhead, one of the toughest places to play, significantly tougher than SoFi Stadium. Uh, and and to, to that point, Rodham, uh, not to cut you off, but we were talking about the home field advantage for the Rams earlier. Technically, technically the Bengals are listed as the home team for this matchup because the AFC-NFC uh, – alternates home teams in the Super Bowl every year. So for what it's worth, I believe the Bengals are going to have the home locker room in SoFi Stadium, which is uh, just interesting. That is interesting. I, I wonder what effect that is, because if you're if you're Trey Hendrickson and you're, you're putting your jersey up in, in Aaron Donald's locker, I wonder what the effect in your, in your head is for that. Um, yeah, but uh, I think that that's a very interesting point, though, to add to the 8-2 and two, the Bengals against the spread away, Los Angeles is 5-5 five and five against the spread at home, 7-3 and three straight up. So both are 7-3 and three in this respective direction, but it seems like Los Angeles more likely to not match the spread. And I think that really bodes for what we're both saying. And Cincinnati keeps this game close. Uh, like you mentioned in their playoff games, they've obviously been a good come-from-behind team. So if you believe in this Rams, you know, putting a few touchdowns on the board first half, third quarter... The Bengals can't catch up. You know, they're the kind of team they can chase from behind. They've got a weapon of the same name. 
and, and I think that that uh, makes them a great target for the for taking the underdog pick here. Even I don't know how you know we're, we're going to talk about money line in a second, but even if you're for just for a hedge, uh, if you're not sure about how you feel, I think the Rams are obviously a great team. We've talked about it all season, but the Bengals are to be trusted with this with four and a half points. Even a field goal keeps them in line. You get even you get an extra point and a half on top of that, and it just feels like too good to be true uh, for a team that is incredibly talented. Yeah, and is there a world in which the Rams cover four and a half and win? Absolutely. I mean, it goes without saying uh, the Rams in their own right deserve to be here. And we know about the star set of talent they have on both sides of the ball. But I think this four and a half number is kind of reflective of a perception that uh, because of the Rams, a list players that they have, that they are, you know, close to five points better than this Bengals team. But if you just look at where these teams finished and where these teams ranked in different categories uh, this season, that they're more alike than they are different. I think really, I mean, the Rams defense was number 17. The Bengals was 18th. The Rams passing offense was number five. The Bengals was number seven. The Rams were number six in points per game. The Bengals are number eight. And then, you know, defensively, uh, the Rams, they finished number seven in sacks, and the Bengals were numbered 11. So if you just, you know, look at those those different categories there, overall defense, scoring offense, passing offense, and then rushing the passer, I mean, based on the ranks, the Rams are maybe a little bit better than the Bengals in all those categories. But I think those areas are also the strengths, obviously, of each of these teams. So I think their strengths are similar, and so too are their weaknesses, which is uh, makes for an interesting, you know, matchup. But I think the Bengals have definitely earned the respect to say four and a half points, you know, might be a little too much, even against this Rams team. Yeah, I agree. And I wouldn't be surprised if the line keeps moving in either direction. I feel like four is a pretty natural place for this this to settle. Uh, and even betting on Bunsen Cincinnati and getting the possibility of this being a four-point game makes me kind of happy. I, I feel like I, I'd be willing to take Cincinnati probably down to about plus three. As long as I can buy into that field goal, I think I'm good. Uh, how how do you feel? How how much would you take Cincinnati for? Yeah, I think I think if it dropped down to a field goal or less, then I I'd probably be a little bit hesitant because I, I mean you were talking about hedging earlier, and I'll just get into it. I mean you know I had I uh, you know I've hedged plenty of times with some of these games, and ultimately I do think the Rams are more likely to win this game, but you know we just laid out the case for the Bengals plus four and a half. So Rams by a field goal, Rams by, you know, two points is probably where I see it headed. So if you drop Cincinnati to minus three, minus two and a half, uh, I probably wouldn't want to take the Bengals to cover in that scenario. But, you know, like you said, it probably settles somewhere around four. So I don't see it going that low. Um, and I don't see the Rams, you know, it going more than another half a point in their favor because minus Anywhere above minus five for LA would just be ridiculous, honestly. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. But uh, you know, with, with, when you're dropping the premonitions of you potentially taking a hedge here, why don't we slightly move on to the game itself of uh, you know who's taking the dub and who's taking the L? Uh, you're saying the Rams obviously seem to be the team you're favoring here. What uh, if you had to pick like one position group? Why why the Rams? I guess what why what part of them do you think is the one that makes them so makes them the obvious choice here over the Bengals? Maybe not the obvious choice, but makes them your choice. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be surprising. Everyone's talked about it, but the Bengals offensive line versus the Rams defensive line is, you know, it goes without saying, a huge mismatch. And I think the Bengals have been able to overcome, you know, their offensive line struggles, not just in the playoffs, but throughout the whole season. And that, you know, is a credit to Joe Burrow and, you know, somehow staying alive in half of these games uh, in their group of pass catchers, which is tremendous. But I think in this spot, you know, going up the front with Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, I think this could be a spot where it just becomes too much for that offensive line to hold up. And again, it hasn't really mattered all that much to this point because Burrow was the 55th quarterback in NFL history. Fun fact here for you, Riddle. To be sacked 50 or more times in the regular season. And none of those previous 54 quarterbacks made it to the Super Bowl. So this is unheard of for an offensive line to be this bad or for a quarterback to be sacked this much in a season and for them still to get to the Super Bowl. But I don't know. I, I think, you know, we see with these Super Bowls in the past. Look at last year. The biggest reason I think the Buccaneers won that game against the Chiefs was because they dominated up front against an injury-riddled Chiefs offensive line. And I, th- I think you could see a similar scenario play out here. I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout, obviously, like it was last year. But uh, I think the mismatch in the trenches is, uh, is difficult to look past. I I agree with you. And I obviously, you know, I'll get to my prediction in a second. But how hard is it to look past? Because, you know, I think the Chiefs and, and the, the Bengals are obviously two very different animals. But the Bengals did manage to win a game not too long ago, allowing nine sacks. And that kind of makes me think that this group might, you know, just be uh, outweighed. Uh, just maybe outweighed by the talent everywhere around them. Obviously, Mixon, uh, Burrow, Chase, Higgins, Uzama, Uzama. You know, just the talent around this offense just maybe maybe helps that out. And I mean, the offense, the whole offensive group. You know, I'm I'm here to defend one of my favorite players in the NFL, Mr. Jonah Williams. Uh, he's a terrific player, and he's he's going to be taking out one of the best players uh, in in football, in Von Miller. And obviously, Leonard Floyd versus Isaiah Prince, uh, who you know has only played four games. Ever in the NFL, three of them have been during this playoff run. Uh, makes makes me a little bit worried. But uh, in the center of the field, Quentin Spain and Trey Hopkins, that's going to be the matchup because it's Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald all day in his second ever Super Bowl. Many at his young age of, what, 28, 29, already believe him to be probably going to be the greatest defensive player of all time. He needs a ring on that finger, and I, I would not be surprised if he gets a little ferocious. And, and him... Obviously, all those defensive player of the years on the shelf, I can agree. He's probably the source of my biggest concern. But between Williams and Prince, who have played pretty fantastically in the postseason, uh, I think we'll do a great job on two outside linebackers who play incredibly wide. Like, Williams and Von Miller will be going at it all game. But I believe in Williams as much as I believe in Prince to take out Leonard Floyd. It's Aaron Donald in the middle with that inexperienced central tri- triad of Trey Hopkins, Hakeem Ajeni, and Quinton Spain that I think starts becoming a problem. But I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as what would happen last year, where you lose two all-pro tackles within the space of two, two weeks, and then you go up against two all-pros at the defensive end positions. In this case, your two tackles have been playing together pretty well. They haven't had a lot of bad experience. It's that central group versus one of the greatest players of all time that is the concern. But I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, again, if, if there's a team that has shown you know, they can overcome... a 
piss poor offensive line. It's this year's Bengals because that's exactly what they've done uh, to get up to this point. And if the you know if those offensive tackles win their individual matchups against Leonard Floyd and Von Miller, like you said, then the Bengals probably win this game. I think that that matchup, the Bengals defensive line, sorry, the Rams defensive line versus the Bengals offensive line may ultimately be the deciding factor. And if the Rams don't win that matchup, you know, decisively, then uh, maybe they don't win because I do think on paper that's probably their biggest advantage uh, in this matchup specifically because, I mean, neither defense is particularly great in the back end. I mean, both both passing defenses were uh, ranked 20th or lower. Uh, so it, it will be interesting to see. But how do, you, how do you feel about the other side? Just just interested because obviously this Bengals defensive line is probably the best like improvement throughout the season of their team. I mean, their offense has been great from day one to, to day 365, whatever we're on. But the defensive line of DJ Reader and Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard has been the real you know, glow up of this defense, along with guys like Von Bell and, and Eli Apple on the corner positions. Do you have faith in them to go up, up against you know a pretty talented offensive line, arguably one of the best in the in the league, uh, you know cornerstone of Andrew Whitworth. Yeah, with a cornerstone like Andrew Whitworth and obviously Rob Havenstein and. Not that I can name anyone in the middle of their line, but they, you know, they're a pretty tough group. You, but you have faith in in a defense that does, like you mentioned, put up pretty close sacks uh, to get in the backfield and really mess up Stafford, who during this playoffs has not looked great while having pressure on his face. Yeah, I mean, the Bengals' defense has definitely overachieved and has been impressive up to this point this season, and it, it will be interesting to see, you know, what version of the Bengals' defense we get to start the game because. You know, like we saw last week, they're they're streaky, right? In the first half, they got absolutely obliterated by the Chiefs' offense, could not stop them uh, from doing anything they wanted to. And then in the second half, they completely shut them down. And don't quote me on this, but I think the Bengals have only allowed a total of 19 second-half points in the three in the three games this postseason. So they clearly have the capacity to tighten things up, you know, when they want to. It'll just be a matter of can they do that for three or four quarters instead of for two quarters? Because this Rams offense is obviously well-equipped to uh, to make explosive plays and to score points in a hurry. But to that same point, I don't think we've seen the Rams offense play a complete game necessarily. I mean, look at that Buccaneers game. They were great in the first half, and then they completely fell apart in the second half. And then last week, or two weeks ago against the 49ers, they only scored 20 points to win. And they had only a touchdown on the board up until late in that game. So we need, you know, it'll be a matter of consistency from both of these units, uh, which will ultimately, I think, you know, impact uh, who comes out on top. That's interesting. I mean, uh, truly a battle of the trenches, despite there being uh, numerous incredible players uh, on the outsides. But when we talk about the guys on the outside, you mentioned how deep the the, the Rams' offense is. Uh, obviously, Cooper Cup, Mister Mister Tri- uh, Triple Crown, uh, and, and the Prince that was promised on the opposite side of him, Odell Beckham Jr. One of those first round pick trades that they made uh, between them, Van Jefferson. You've got Tyler Higby, hoping that he ends up playing, uh, and not to mention the talented group of uh, the talented group of running backs uh, and underemploy of Mister Sean McVay. Uh, none the least, of course, our dear boy Jake Funk. Sonny Michelle, Daryl Henderson, Cam Akers, uh, a terrific group 
you know, going up against, yeah, if we talk about the running backs first, obviously going up against Joe Mixon and Samaji Piran. But on the other side, they've got Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and, uh, I mean, uh, C.J. Uzamoa, who obviously we all know to be one of the greatest tight ends of, in NFL history. So between the arms race on one side, which probably has the names, you know, probable offensive player of the year, former offensive rookie of the year, number one overall pick, Matt Stafford, versus this year's probable offensive rookie of the year, number one overall pick in the quarterback, uh, and a little bit of a underrated crowd uh, surrounding them. Who do you think has the has the dub in the arms race offensively? Has the has the advantage in the arms race offensively? Yeah, that's tough, honestly. And I like the the term arms race to describe it because it kind of is. It really is like that. And you know, just you listing off all the players, you kind of you don't really realize just how high powered these two offenses are. Uh, but once you hear, you know, player by player, position by position like that, it, it's pretty remarkable. And honestly, I, I kind of feel like it's it's even like they cancel each other out, which is why, you know, that plays into the idea that, you know, whoever wins up front, that's going to be a deciding factor. Right. Because, you know, that both of these teams have playmakers on the outside and over the middle who can make plays. But if either of these offensive lines are you know, can't block, then that's going to blow up the entire game plan, whether it's for the Bengals uh, or for the Rams. And, you know, my ultimate, you know, what I'm foreseeing is that the Bengals offensive line struggles more than the Rams offensive line does. And that is why I ultimately think the Rams, you know, will probably come out on top. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Though I I do have a a take for you from, uh, you know, I I don't know if you know, the CBS ranks every starting player in the Mm. Super Bowl. And I was looking at the list and I decided to make my own list. So here's a hot take for you. The two best players in the Super Bowl, defensive players, obviously one of the greatest of all time to ever do it, Aaron Donald, and one of the other greatest of all time to ever do it, Jalen Ramsey. Next eight in the top 10, all offense for sure. Cup, Chase, Burrow, Stafford, Mixon, Beckham Jr., T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, so do you, do you think are we gonna are we in line for a big score? You know, we obviously you've kind of laid down your play, but let's move on, like the last number we have here, uh, over under forty eight point five. Are we expecting a blowout here? Are we expecting uh, some not a blowout? Are we expecting some huge numbers here? Two terrific offenses, but uh, how how confident are you in, in an explosive game? I mean, it should be a high scoring game, right? In theory, I mean, we we basically laid out the case. Both of these. Passing offenses are two of the best in the league, and both of the prospective passing defenses are, you know, two bottom tier groups, at least statistically. But it is tricky because, you know, the past three, you look the past three Super Bowls, I think almost all those games, people foresaw high scoring games, and yet the under hit in all of them. And I am surprised that this number isn't, you know, at 50 or higher. It is 48 and a half, which would be. You know, just doing the math, that's 25 points on one side, 24 on the other for the over to hit. And I think because everyone does probably see a high scoring game happening, that leads more credence to taking the under. But at the same time, I think there could be a slight over where it's not a crazy score, you know, somewhere in the mid to upper 20s for both teams, which is, you know, definitely feasible. And also the fact that the past three Super Bowls have hit the under. I feel like we're due for for a relatively high-scoring Super Bowl, and this matchup obviously uh, has all the makings of that happening. 
Yeah, and this over-under at 48.5 is the smallest uh, since Super Bowl 50, Broncos-Panthers of 43.5. But since then, we've seen four out of five Super Bowls have an over-under above 50, including 57.5 Patriots-Rams. Uh, Rainy Bells, yeah, the lowest-scoring Super Bowl of all time, 26, uh, 16 points. Uh, so that, you know, over-unders for the Super Bowl, obviously incredibly difficult to call. Last year, obviously, 56 was the over-under. 40 was the final score, thanks to a nice blowout, and only nine points uh, from one of the greatest offenses of all times. So hard hard to predict there. But, you know, we've laid out the case, I think, easily for both of these teams, uh, for the underdog Bengals and, and their young core, for the L.A. Ram and their star-studded defense and, and offense, and uh, the true arms race between these two teams. Uh, I think we've we've alluded a little bit to which sides we fall on, but Frank, uh, what's your what's your prediction for this Sunday? Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna settle on the Rams winning by uh, just about a field goal. So I am taking that Cincy plus four and a half, and I'm gonna go with a very slight over. I'm gonna say Rams twenty-seven, Bengals twenty-four. It's the final score. I think that's a very admirable score. Uh, I am agreeing with you on that plus 4.5, but uh, I'm, I'm flipping it for the Bengals. Uh, I'm seeing a low-scoring game. Uh, I know I said how talented the, this offense is, but uh, something in me just makes me, it makes me know it's a Super Bowl. Sean McVay knows what he's doing. If he's anything like last game, his game plan is going to be keep the ball on the ground, and that's, uh, that's, that's good for him. That being said, I think Jamar Chase and Burrow come up with some late-game fanatics win themselves another championship in the same fashion they did last time they were on the biggest stage. Uh, and I'm going Cincinnati 18, Rams 17. Hitting the under, the Cincinnati plus 4.5. And of course, that's sweet, sweet Cincinnati plus 170 money line. Yeah, that's a good good prediction. I, I think that would definitely be a Super Bowl score gami, 18 to 17. Uh, I would love to see it. Um, you know, we didn't even talk about, and we don't have to get into it, but the coaching matchup is interesting. McVay, uh, Zach Taylor, Zach Taylor, obviously, uh, the, the former protege comes from the Sean McVay coaching tree. Uh, youngest Super Bowl coach, coaching matchup ever, wrote a 36-year-old and Sean McVay, a 38-year-old and Zach Taylor. Big, big, big Sunday for uh, Gen X, wouldn't you say? Yeah, a uh, huge Sunday for Gen X. I mean, huge. we got to be a proud moment for Sean McVay. Not only is he the youngest coach to ever make uh, the Super Bowl, he's now the second youngest coach, and the third youngest coach was under his tree. Uh, you know, And that Sean McVay tree mm. uh, keeps blooming and blooming. Obviously, he falls under the Bill Walsh tree, which falls under the Mike Holmgren tree, and the Dennis Green, and, and whatever you want to call it with Andy Reid and John Gruden falling somewhere and all that. But uh, Sean McVay, you know, two Super Bowls already on his resume, could potentially adding a ring there. Guys like Raheem Morris and Brian Dable and Brian Callahan and Nate Hackett and Matt LaFleur. And, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on about the guys that are getting hired purely off of this guy. Um, I think Brian Flores is, is under that tree as well, if I'm, if I'm not crazy. Zach Taylor, Brandon Staley, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean. And you might you might have a Zach Taylor coaching tree. Now, I mean, I would imagine at least one Bengals, you know, coach on one side of the ball will go somewhere else in the offseason and, you know, maybe eventually become a head coach. The trees, like you just laid out, they grow, you know, quickly. And they sprout everywhere. Yeah, they do. I mean, uh, Brian Callahan, obviously, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo. I don't know if I've heard any, any obviously, all the coaching positions have been filled, and I'm sure we'll get to that uh, in a future episode in the offseason. Lovey Smith. Uh, Lovey, you know, I don't know where Lovey Smith, I know he he's he's in a bad coaching tree over there. We, we talked about that before the episode, but it is it is super interesting, and, and I think it, it even uh, helps us move on to 
do you think that McVay and, and obviously a few of these Rams players, uh, namely Donald and, and m- many members of the offensive line, do you think that Super Bowl experience gives them any more of an edge, or do you think the brashness of those Bengals? You know, they're young, they haven't had this experience, they've never been to a AFC championship, but lo and behold, they've already won one Lamar Hunt trophy. Could that, uh, you know, could could beginner's luck take them, or help them at all, in, in getting a Lombardi one as well? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we, we probably should, should have talked about this before we made our prediction, but, you know, I've said, I said in the divisional round that maybe the moment was going to be too big for the Bengals, and then I said the same thing in the AFC championship. Uh, and lo and behold, it was not too big, and they've they've met that moment. Um, but you know, you do think, in theory, the Super Bowl is a whole different ball game than the divisional playoff game and, and the championship round, right? I mean, it is the biggest game of the NFL season, um, and I'm not sure if experience so much gives a huge advantage to the Rams, but it, it does, I think, to a certain extent. But I think the fact that this core, you know obviously not with Stafford and some of the other players, but with McVay as the head coach, with Aaron Donald, uh, the fact that this core was here in this same spot only three years ago and they lost, I mean, they still have that taste, right? They got so close and now they're back. So that drive and that hunger, not to say the Bengals, you know, obviously aren't motivated and want to win, but I think, you know, the Rams have that vengeance factor uh, going for them, which the Bengals, you know, not having success with this group before up until now, obviously uh, do not. So maybe that's, maybe that's worth something. Yeah, that could be worth something. And one of those players that you're describing that could have that hunger, Cooper cup uh, was the number one receiver back then, but uh, Bobby trees will not be playing in this game uh, for him to Mm -hmm. take that away from him. But Cooper cup, obviously with the triple crown that I mentioned earlier, 16 touchdowns this season in the regular season added four more in the playoffs. For him to score this um, the Super Bowl, he has an anytime touchdown odds of minus 165. First to score a plus 550. Uh, on the opposite side of the field, number one wide receiver, a probable offensive rookie of the year, Jamar Chase, is anytime minus 110. And first to score at plus 900. Uh, those are the top two receivers. Obviously a big list that include Joe Mixon anytime minus 140, Cam Akers plus 115, Odell plus 140. Uh, anyone specifically you're looking at in this game, to put up a touchdown. Your prediction does give way to quite a few of them. Uh, I don't know how you're, how you're splitting up your 27-24, but uh, that would include probably th- four or five touchdowns in total here. Uh, any Anyone in particular you think is definitely on the list? Yeah, well, based on you know my prediction of the Rams scoring 27, that's probably three touchdowns and a pair of field goals. I think that Stafford may account for all three of those Rams touchdowns. I think two of them will come via the air, probably to Cup uh, and probably to whoever else. But I wouldn't look past the Stafford plus 600 anytime score as, as a rusher. And, you know, you know, I, I'm always on the, the rushing touchdown props for quarterbacks, right? Did it last year in the Super Bowl with Mahomes. Didn't pay out. You know, done it with Brady in the past. But, you know, Stafford has scored two rushing touchdowns in the postseason, and, and the Rams seem to be using him more uh, in quarterback sneak, quarterback sneak situations if they get to the goal line. And I, I kind of like that as a prop, plus 600. You know, everyone loads up on Cup or Cam Akers in the backfield or try to look for the Odell back shoulder fade, but instead Stafford, 
you know, he takes it himself in the end zone. I, I can see that happen. Yeah, I actually really like that one. You know, I, I considered that before. But, I mean, you knowing that Stafford has kind of those long odds, uh, knowing that he's done it before in the offseason, and knowing that the Bengals don't particularly have the greatest linebackers or should be expecting anyone to, uh, you know, be, be having a QB spy out there for Stafford. So I feel like that's that's a good pick. Um, if I had one more there, I think uh, definitely got to go with the Cooper Cup. I think that there's an incredibly solid, and obviously the odds reflected, solid chance that he scores. Uh, I would also be incredibly confident that, um, and I'll get to this later, that Jamar Chase is going to score at least once at minus 110. Uh, for any time, I think I'd be pretty happy to take Rams defense plus 500. Between the mm. ferocity that I believe Aaron Donald's going to play at, uh, I think a forced fumble is definitely in his future. I think Jalen Ramsey could definitely have probably one of the greatest games of his life, a man who never shies away from the spotlight. Um, and obviously general, you know, shenanigans that happen in, in, this, in the Super Bowl could see a guy like Leonard Floyd pick up a touchdown or, or uh, Brockers pick up a touchdown. There are a lot of possibilities on an incredibly talented team and a 5 plus 500. Pretty good odds, wouldn't you say, Frank? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Joe Burrow's been great, obviously, but, you know, we've seen in the past he's not immune to turning the ball over. You know, he had an interception in the AFC Championship. Uh, he had, what, 14, 15 interceptions in the regular season. And, uh, you know, everyone's everyone every quarterback's ball security is great until Aaron Donald's uh, rushing the quarterback, and then it's a whole – I do like that defensive prop. And, you know, on the subject of sacks – you know, the total number of sacks in this game is set at five and a half minus 120 both ways. I already talked about earlier how Rams and Bengals, you know, both ranked around the top 10 in the top 10 in sacks this season. And each team has, you know, some pretty good pass rushers to say the least. Five and a half, that would mean six sacks total if you went with the over. I would say I think the over is probably the best call, but do, do you think there's any chance that it, there isn't six or more sacks in this game. Um, I think that really comes down to Zach Taylor and, and I guess the entire Bengals offensive line because like you kind of alluded to and like I mentioned with the Titans game where they got nine sacks, if the Bengals don't you know, play to their fullest potential, the Rams alone could have six sacks. And I mean, obviously Sam Hubbard, DJ Reader, DJ Reading, and, and, and the Trey Hendrickson, who I've name-dropped a thousand times this episode for some reason, um, are mm-hmm. all very talented and can bring three sacks, I think, by themselves and it seems like I don't understand where this number comes from because I think easily it should be in the A territory and I know sacks are very hard to come by but these are two quarterbacks that love to run around in the pocket get kind of you know put themselves in the position to be hit and unless there's a, a certainty that you know they're keeping a tight end in obviously with CJ Uzumoa potentially not playing slash playing hurt there's a solid chance that a blocking tight end is going to be in the in the field more likely um, but no way is Aaron Donald leaving this game without a sack. He got a sack last Super Bowl. I would be surprised if Von Miller, former Super Bowl MVP Von Miller, doesn't grab one himself. Uh, Trey Hendrickson's up there, I think, for a guarantee to grab, and that, that's three by themselves. That's not even mentioning Leonard Floyd, a former double-digit sack guy, Sam Hubbard, a double-digit sack guy this season, uh, and DJ Reader, who, you know, eats centers for breakfast. So I think that it'd be you know a very unwise bet to take that under, but I could see it happening uh, only if Ozomo is gone and it's pretty much the plan of Joe Burrow gets a fullback, gets a tight end, covers his ass. This is they are concerned of a repeat of last year, but uh, I think that the wise decision is to believe that Ozomo plays and the Bengals play loose with uh, with Burrow's ankles like uh, they did last season. Yeah, I mean there's just 
there's so many good pass rushers in this game that it's hard not to see six sacks hidden. And it's minus 120 both ways, so there's really no reason to root against sacks uh, and take the under. And, you know, a couple other props that I was looking at, for both quarterbacks, the over-unders are set pretty high, and for a good reason. You know, for all the reasons that we've mentioned, this is projected to be a high-scoring game. You know, Joe Burrow passing yards, 277.5. Matt Stafford, 283.5. And And Joe Burrow completions and Matt Stafford completions, both at 24.5. And, And, you know, I was thinking about this, Rotom. I feel like in this type of matchup, when it's projected to be high-scoring and, you know, the inclination is that both quarterbacks are going to have big numbers and big games, there's a tendency to maybe overthink it a little bit and say, oh, well, you know, maybe Stafford has less than 280 yards. Maybe Burrow doesn't complete 24 passes. But at the end of the day, I feel like if you're going to bet on any of these quarterbacks' numbers, just just take the over, right? I, I don't see the point. I, I really don't see the reasoning to take the under unless you think otherwise. I mean, those numbers are achievable for both of these guys based on everything that we've seen up to this point yeah i don't i don't see a world where the under hits purely i mean you just look at their averages stafford averaged 289 which is more than his number and burrow was 287 uh, on the season and both both of them well over the numbers i don't expect this to be a game where they're really passing the ball less i i can see mcveigh maybe going less and if i had a pick between the two i could see stafford having a below average game purely because uh, of spreading the wealth between between the running back group but if the game kind of plays out the way Bengals games have played in the last few games where they need to make that comeback, where it's Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase versus the world, I don't really see Joey Joey Burrow getting below 300 yards, and I really like that. And in fact, if you really believed in that, and while I don't believe in, an, in, in an over as much as you do, both teams to score over 24 points, and Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford to each pass for 250-plus yards, plus 450. Pretty much a, 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 a odd for you to say that this is going to be a high-scoring Super Bowl, which it's obviously been set up to be. Uh, how do you feel about that? You know, would you be willing to take the over on both and the over on the points? I would. I definitely would. And again, I'm I'm not totally ruling out you know the scenario where the under hits and it's not as high-scoring as everyone thinks. But just all the factors that are that are working in the favor of both of these quarterbacks, you know, having relatively good games throwing for 250 plus like you just laid out Uh, and if both quarterbacks have close to or upwards of 300 yards and it's hard not to see both teams scoring you know in that 24 or more range so i like that number plus 450 and if if i had the chance to bet on it uh i might i just might i'm glad you uh i'm glad you agree with that one because i think that's a really good one at the value of plus 450 but if you're looking for certain players, you know, I said Burrow. I don't expect him to have less than 300 yards. I'll get to Chase in a second. But Tyler Boyd is, is a name that I think would be great. T. Higgins was the go-to target during the AFC Championship game uh, if the defenses came to Chase. But I think the Rams are a team that defend very well deep balls. And it's Tyler Boyd who's going to make those cuts behind the Rams linebackers past Leonard Floyd, past Von Miller. You know, and past coverage, Von Miller looked real slow. And I know Tyler Boyd loves that little curl route, which would be right behind where Miller plays, right under the old Eric Weddle. I think that's uh, that's kind of the perfect route there for Tyler Boyd to end up with six or seven catches, uh, well over 40.5 yards. And at minus 110, you're not getting the great odds, but I think this one, 
uh, I think it is one of the safer ones you could take. And I don't I don't know how you feel about that, Frank, especially because if you're betting on not even the number two or number one receiver, because I, I dare say it's T. Higgins at number two, but I think Higgins might be the one getting iced out of this game, and it's Boyd and Chase that are the one-two punch, uh, and Boyd over 50.5, it just feels like a natural choice. Yeah, I like that one a lot too, actually. I had it written down also, and I think that Boyd has kind of been the forgotten man on this Bengals offense because he's not been totally iced out of the of the game plan, but he's definitely been quiet to end the season. Uh, and I think the Super Bowl, you know, would be a great time for him to to kind of reemerge and, and reinsert himself as a focal point here, especially, you know, if, of course, the Rams game plan, which it probably is, is to load up on Jamar Chase and uh, T. Higgins. And I think if Usama doesn't play, uh, that would also be a huge nod to take the Boyd over on 40 and a half. You know, given that both of them do most of their damage over the middle of the field. Another Bengals pass catcher, you know, that's also tenured in this offense is Joe Mixon at the running back position. And his over for receiving yards is 26 and a half. It's over under for receiving yards is 26 and a half. So it's minus 120 and it's not the greatest odds, but I like that over. And if you look at the trend for Mixon, you know, his involvement in this passing game, it's been on the up. I mean, his passing, his receiving yardage over is hit in five straight games. He's got 15 targets in the in in the postseason, and you know, look at the final two regular season games of the year. He had 13 catches and 110 receiving yards. So clearly, you know, Mixon has the trust of Joe Burrow as a safety valve in this passing game, whether it be screens, dump offs, whatever. And I think in the Super Bowl, we've seen in recent years that running backs, for whatever reason, seem to have big games receiving-wise. Leonard Fournette, Damian Williams, and I think Joe Mixon's probably the best pass-catching running back in this game. And I think uh, 26 and a half is, is kind of a good number to take the over. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think you can even couple that with what he might not be doing on the other side of the ball. I'll throw in Joe Mixon under 62.5 yards. That's uh, that's his rushing number. Wow. And uh, that that's crazy that we had the same one for the first one. But, yeah, I, I really like Mixon on the over because I know he's going to be involved. But if you see this world that I'm, I'm, I'm spewing here with Joe Burrow having to pass, this is a run-heavy, this is a, rush, a pass-heavy offense, and we know the Rams currently fourth against the run, uh, pretty damn good. Uh, and obviously the, the, the offensive line troubles that we know uh, plague the Bengals come up a little bit more on the run than they do against the pass. Uh, and even, I'll double down on the anti-running sentiment, Cam Akers, the other number one running back, under 67 and a half yards. I don't know where this number came from, if I'm entirely honest with you. He came back in week 18 from an Achilles injury. I don't know how he played the season, uh, but he has 2.7 yards per carry uh, since he's been back. And I don't see a world in which he gets what? 20 carries not with uh with the guys that he not with michelle behind him not with uh, daryl henderson behind him not with jake funk behind him uh I, I think that there's a very small chance that acres gets more than about 12 carries and a very very small chance that he hits over 50 uh, 64 yards and i i hate taking unders uh but this is this this is a game as we've already mentioned in, in our arms race this is a game meant for passing and i don't think either the number one running backs with their talented backups let's not forget some ajp run uh, uh, that they'll be able to be the stars of the show. Yeah, I mean, I like, you know, it's funny you bring those up, Rodan, because uh, when you were going to pass it over to me, I was I was legitimately going to bring up the same exact 
uh, two props, the the unders for both of the starting running backs on both teams. And, you know, I'm like you, I, I don't want to root for unders, offensive unders. It's not fun. But, you know, strategically, I think in this matchup, uh, it makes the most sense. And just you know, going off what you said, the Joe Mixon 62 and a half, that over has only hit twice in the past eight games. And Mixon's obviously a high volume rusher. and He gets 12, 14, sometimes even 20 carries every game, but he just hasn't been getting the yardage. And he's averaging, you know, well under four four yards a carry, you know, over the past eight to 10 games or so. And then for Cam Akers, I would even throw in the rushing attempts under 16 and a half. It is minus 120, but I don't see the Rams just force feeding Akers kind of like they have been this postseason, you know, where he somehow has 54 carries over the past three games. I think this game gets to a point in the second half where McVay just comes to a decision where he wants the ball in Matthew Stafford's hand, because I think it's going to be a close game, obviously. And Cam Akers is talented, but he's he's averaging under three and a half, three yards a carry in the playoffs. And we know he has a tendency to fumble at times. So, you know, when the game's close in the second half, I, I don't see McVay taking any chances, you know, giving the ball to Akers where, you know, Stafford probably should have the ball in his hands making the decisions. So I'm with you on on the Acres under rushing yardage, but I also think the attempts is uh, not a bad look. Also, yeah, I'm glad we're in the head, same headspace. And I got one more. I don't know, I don't know how many you have left, but uh, we already talked about the touchdowns, and uh, we kind of touched on the offense. But if we can go defensive real quick, which you know usually doesn't get the limelight uh, when we talk prop bets, but first to court a sack. I think this is this is an interesting prop bet, mostly because I already talked about three guys that I think for sure are throwing sacks on the board. Uh, in Donald Miller and, and, and Hendrickson. But I think it's Hendrickson, who at plus 550 is the first recorded sack. The Bengals uh, have only started the game out of out of their 22 games now, uh, started the game with the ball five times. That sets up a first drive with Trey Hendrickson face-to-face with Rob Havenstein. And I think that through one series, one series that I fully expect the Rams to score on, Hendrickson to pick up the first sack of the game and, and do his little dance. I don't, I don't know. He probably named his, his touchdown, his little sack dance by this point. But I think that he's a great look at plus 550. Uh, and obviously, you know, Sam Hubbard on the opposite side of him, plus 1,000. B.J. Hill joins that list as well, plus 1,400. Uh, but a terrific guy in Trey Hendrickson that deserves all the, the, the plaudits that he's gotten. Uh, be Pro Bowl. I think he was a second-team All-Proer this year. Eleven straight games this season with uh, with a sack. I think he, he continues a terrific season. Puts a sack up in his name in the Super Bowl. Plus five fifty. I think that's a great one for the defensive side. Yeah, it's an interesting prop and number. Uh, not surprised to see you going with Trey Hendrickson, who I guess is I guess is one of your favorite players that I didn't know about until uh, just now. But um, you know, I kick it back to offense just briefly. Uh, on the subject of the Rams, I think Odell Beckham could be in for a big game. And, you know, his numbers, 65 and a half receiving yards. The over is minus 120. Uh, not great value, but I think the better number is five and a half receptions where you can get, you know, plus 110, plus 15, plus 110, plus 115 value taking the over. And, you know, six catches may seem like a lot, but he had six catches in the NFC Championship game. He's been way more involved week by week in this Rams uh, passing offense, and I don't see that trend suddenly stopping in the Super Bowl. And we know Odell, you know, he's longed to get to this point for a while. And I think in LA, 
under the bright lights, national stage, I, I think he could have a big game. And six catches with plus value, I would take that number. Yeah, the plus value, I think, catches my eye. I'm not a huge fan of this number, uh, to be entirely honest with you, but I like I like the value that comes with it. Uh, but you get it, right? I mean, it's L.A., it's Odell. It's, he would live for this moment. He does live for this moment. And I think I think that's a great segue into a question of Super Bowl MVP. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's the big question that comes along. Obviously, we're going to talk quarterbacks because, lo and behold, the quarterback almost always wins it. Let's talk wide receivers for a second. Only six guys have ever won. Uh, only six wide receivers have ever won Super Bowl MVP. Uh, a list of legends like Lynn Swan, Jerry Rice, Heinz Ward, uh, Julian Edelman. But, if, you know, the occasion with San Antonio Holmes with one of the greatest Super Bowl catches of all time in the corner of the end zone. Or a Dion Branch who carried Tom Brady through one of his weakest Super Bowls uh, to the to the end. How likely do you think between this terrific cast of wide receivers in in the in, in the possibility of the first ever rookie Super Bowl MVP in Jamar Chase, uh, obviously Cooper Cup to join his his terrific statistical season to join his Offensive Player of the Year award, he could join the Super Bowl MVP, and of course Odell, you know, lives for the moment, like you were saying. Maybe six catches doesn't do enough, but maybe he turns those six catches like Heinz Ward did in 235 yards and a touchdown and a Super Bowl MVP on a shelf. So how confident, uh, and I can grab you the numbers uh, real quick, unless you have them pulled up, between Odell, Jamar, and Cooper Cup, how, how confident do you think that, or maybe not how confident, but how, how likely do you think it is that we see a wide receiver lift the, the trophy? I mean, I think, it, like you said, it hasn't happened a lot in history, but if there was a game where a non-quarterback and wide receiver was gonna host was gonna hoist the Super Bowl MVP trophy. This this is probably about as as good of a chance as there's ever been, uh, and I think it's. I mean, it's not a surprise to say, it's probably going to be Cup if the Rams win, or Chase if the Bengals win. And I think Odell is a good you know long shot. I don't really see T Higgins or Tyler Boyd having a good enough game to win Super Bowl MVP. But I mean Cup, and you know to a slightly lesser extent Chase. Those guys are just so good, and and we've seen all throughout the season some of the video game, some of the video game s games that they have, you know, hundred and fifty plus receiving yards, twelve plus catches, whatever, multiple touchdowns. If either of them, you know, revert to that sort of form and have that vintage performance in this spot, then it's not crazy to say that one of them could win Super Bowl MVP and Cup at plus six hundred. Chase plus sixteen hundred—that's even better value. Uh, I don't think it's inconceivable to think uh, that that would happen. But again, you know, for that for a receiver to win Super Bowl MVP, uh, the quarterback of his team has to have you know a subpar performance by their standards. So you're banking on Stafford or Burrow, you know, not having the type of performance that we both think that they will. Uh, if you're betting on a, one of those receivers to win MVP. Well, I mean, they don't have to have too subpar of a game. You look at the Julian Edelman game, Edelman, 10 receptions, 141 yards, zero touchdowns. Uh, Brady, I wouldn't say had a bad game, 262 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I think the big thing there is over half of his completions went to Edelman. Uh, I think you look back mm. to Roethlisberger, back when San Antonio Holmes, obviously the, one of the greatest Super Bowl catches of all time, uh, resulting in 131 yards, one touchdown, and nine receptions is more than half of Roethlisberger's total 256, but, you know, these aren't terrible games. When Roethlisberger won at the, uh, when, when Heinz Ward won it, obviously Roethlisberger was only a rookie, uh, and so it wasn't great, but, you know, it doesn't really take a terrible game 
from a quarterback. And obviously Jerry Rice, let's not forget, uh, his record-breaking 205 yards in the Super Bowl uh, were Joe Montana's 400-yard game. Not necessarily a bad game, either eh, for a quarterback. I think what it requires, really, is that you get half of the quarterback's yardage comes from the wide receiver and maybe a touchdown sprinkled in. Like I said, Edelman didn't score. Uh, Ward did score. Uh, Antonio scored one of the greatest court touchdowns of all time. Deion Branch didn't score in his with 133 yards and 11 receptions. So it's seeing like the pattern here really is just 120 yards plus. And you mentioned it, any of those three receivers that we named could really see themselves over 150. So I think there's 100% a chance you could go. But with the value of plus 600 for Cup, which we both agree is the number one, and plus 1600 for Chase, followed finally by OBJ at plus 2500. Of those three, which one would you go with? Well, seeing as I'm picking the Rams to win, I still think Cup, even though the value is obviously the lowest at plus 600, is probably the best bet. But I'll say, if the Bengals do win, uh, and it's not Burrow who wins MVP, then I think it's Chase. And I, I mean, it's not just you know not out of disrespect to any of the other Bengals players, but I just don't see a pathway unless something you know unpredictable happens for a non Burrow or Chase Bengals player to win Super Bowl MVP. So I'm picking the Rams. So I think Cup is more likely to win it than Chase. But if the Bengals win, uh, I think it's Chase or Burrow and, and nowhere in between. Well, I, I, I think that's incredibly inter- uh, interesting analysis, but you kind of skipped the guy there. What about Odell? You don't think he's got that same odds? I mean, additional 1,900 in value, going from 600 to 2,500, you don't think Odell has the chance to steal the show in LA? No, I mean, well, like I said, I, I think Odell is, is I like taking the over on his props on the receiving yards uh, or the receptions or both, but it's a good long shot bet and there's good value at plus 2,500. But, you know, we've seen this season, even in Odell's best games, Cup is still, you know, outpacing him in production. And so I, I I find it difficult to foresee a scenario where Odell is good enough and Cup is quiet enough for Odell to steal the MVP spotlight. I and mean, maybe it happens. And again, plus you know, 2,500, there's good value. But I think a lot has to go right for, for Odell to actually win Super Bowl MVP. I think that's fair. Um, and I mean, looking past the wide receivers, obviously those three are, are pretty solidly on the top six in value. Uh, and throwing, you know, everyone else back in there, be it defenders, uh, running backs, uh, tight ends, if you're a big Zamoa fan, or uh, hell, Higby's probably somewhere up there. Uh, and even special teamers. Hey, Matt Gay, Evan McPherson, both tied at plus 10,000. Uh, game-winning field goal, never unheard of. Shout out Adam Vinatieri. Uh, and, you know, of course, the quarterbacks with Stafford and Burrow leading the league. Uh, Stafford plus 135, Burrow plus 225. Uh, any any other long shots? Any other predictions? How how else are you seeing this MVP breakdown? Go? Yeah, I mean it, it's hard to say. Uh, defensively, there's there's a couple of good names. I mean, specifically just on the Rams side of the ball, I think Aaron Donald plus 1200, who I know you're very keen on, obviously. Jalen Ramsey, not bad, but uh, I would also say Von Miller plus 4000. I think. And I know you were saying Jonah Williams versus Von Miller uh, could be a matchup that works in the Bengals' favor, but I think Von Miller is good enough to get his in some capacity. And you know maybe they move him around, they they manufacture different pass rushing snaps for him. I just think Miller is is very experienced, very tenured, and this is a moment where you know he can remind people 
you know, just how good he is in case people have, you know, forgotten since he left Denver. And plus 4,000, I could see Miller having maybe a pair of sacks if he forces a turnover and it's a lower scoring game. Uh, if, if it's not Donald, could be Miller who, uh, who does win that Super Bowl MVP if it's a Rams defensive player. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I think if it's going to go defensive, it's going to be on the Rams side. And, you know, you, you, you beat me to the punch. But Aaron Donald uh, not only has the chance to put about three-plus sacks in the board, pick up a fumble, score a touchdown, do literally anything any defender has ever done because he's the greatest to ever do it. Um, there's also the additional factor of this being, you know, one of the greatest to ever do it. I think it would be kind of a shame if Donald, who's now playing in the second Super Bowl almost into his 30s, uh, doesn't get to have a Super Bowl MVP on his trophy. And I think there will be a feeling that if the Bengals aren't doing well, that you kind of got to give credit to a defense led by, I'm going to say it again, one of the greatest to ever do it. I think voters are going to be, that's going to be a big factor for voting. And voting, I think, is still done mostly by the public. So um, that, I think, could be a big factor is him just being the biggest name who easily could have big stats and odds. Come on, plus 1,200. That, that's that's too easy. I mean, I don't care if you're betting on one of the quarterbacks. You throw $10 on, on Donald and win $120 just just simply based on the fact of the, the name, the talent, the ability, the the ultimate package that is the monster that is Aaron Donald. Uh, you know, he's been top five in any award he's ever ran in, in Defensive Player of the Year. He's been an MVP candidate in top 10, seven seasons straight. He's going to be there. He's going to be there on the list even if his team loses. So uh, I think that that's, that's a terrific taste. I really like your pick of Von Miller. As much as I love Jonah Williams, I do have to give that a former Super Bowl MVP has a pretty solid chance of nabbing the award again. Uh, but yeah, I think if I was going to go MVP, I'm going to go Chase on the Bengals side because I am picking them. But if I was going Rams, it'd be Donald every day, all day. No question. Yeah, those are good predictions. And obviously, you know, we're straying away from, from the, the boring quarterback choices. But if we're going non-quarterback, like we are, on the Rams side, I'm going to say Cooper Cup. Not a sexy option, obviously, but I still think you, know, you combine the plus 600 value with the likelihood that he's going to have a tremendous game, then that would be my pick. And if it's on the Bengals side, I'm, I'm going to stick receiver. I'll go chase uh, plus 1,600. Pretty much already explained why, but you know, plus 1,600, that's pretty good value considering uh, the potential likelihood that Chase like Cup has a very good game. Well, I mean, that's about it for, for the Super Bowl. I mean, I'm excited to see, once again, if you uh, if you missed earlier, uh, my prediction, Cincinnati 18-17 to 17 with the victory. We're both taking the plus 4.5, but Franks is going to hit the over and the Rams money line at Ram 27, Bengal 24. Uh, so a little bit different there, but Frank, let's get to the part that the rest of America is here to watch. Predicted, 300, uh, predicted 300 million people are going to be watching the Super Bowl on their TVs, which would be an all-time record for American television. Uh, and Frank, we got to talk about what they'll be seeing. Uh, one of the greatest Super Bowl halftime shows, I think, uh, of all time, right? I mean, this is this is nonsense, the fact that we get all of these great artists, Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige, Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, which, I mean, if you're doing math at home, that's 43 Grammys at the stage, one time. Yeah. Uh, and obviously some California legends. Uh, and we've got some props about a few of them, don't we, Frank? So how do you want to start on this one? Yeah, we do. And I think it's going to be a great uh, Super Bowl halftime show. I, I would say the weekend set the bar pretty high last year, but this year's performance will obviously be much different. Um, out of all those people that you listed, 
there's numbers on who's going to be the first person to speak slash sing slash rap. Uh, Dr. Dre is the favorite, plus 130, followed by Snoop Dogg, plus 140. Then there's a drop-off to Eminem, plus 300. And then uh, our girl, Mary J. Blige, plus 350. And Kendrick bring up the rear uh, at plus 400. So based on these odds, Dr. Dre is the favorite to be the first of the group to start performing. And Kendrick is the least likely uh, to be the first person out there. Do you have any inclination or possible insight, Rotom, as you know, as a music buff yourself, as to uh, who's going to be the first first one out of the gates? Yeah, I'm knocking everyone else out, but Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. This is in LA. This is California. You know, Jay Z is officially producing this this Super Bowl for the second year in a row, and after the success of last year with the weekend, uh, I'm sure he's got even more reign. And there is no better place to start with two California legends that have so many West Coast classics like Dre and Snoop Dogg. And I, to be honest with you, be a little surprised if the opening of this halftime show isn't the opening notes, nothing but a G thing, or a California Love remake where, I don't know, maybe they do. I, maybe not California Love because someone's got to do Tupac's verse. And if I had to put money on it, I'd say that they are going to do California Love with Kendrick doing the Tupac verse, which is something I would be dying to see. Uh, but yeah, I, I would be almost amazed if it's not Dr. Dre doing nothing but a G thing as the opening act. I don't know if there are numbers on what the opening song will be, but that would be my pick. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the first song is going to be a collab between with Dre and Snoop Dogg. Maybe, you know, one of them comes out first, obviously, but nothing but a G thing is a good thing, a good uh, guess. Next episode, still Dre. I mean, there's plenty of options, but I think you know, there's a reason that Dre and Snoop uh, are the odds-on favorites to be one of the first two uh, to speak or to perform out of the group. You know, it's a West Coast flair. That's what the people are there for. But if, you know, if and when Snoop Dogg does come out on the stage, you think he's going to uh, he's gonna smoke a blunt Roto, on national television? Because, you know, there's actually odds on that. Plus 130, yes. Minus 170, no. You know, how PG does Snoop Dogg keep this? Uh, keep this performance. Uh, I I say that he keeps it about as PG as Snoop Dogg generally keeps things, which is uh, about R. Uh, that he's gonna smoke a blunt. Of course he's gonna smoke a blunt. It's it's Snoop Dogg. The only chance that I see this maybe not happening is he's saving it for the end of the game. Because if there's not a picture of Snoop Dogg with his arm around Joe Burrow or with his arm around Odell smoking a blunt in one of the locker rooms, I'd be amazed. At halftime, I get that it's a bigger question because of the FCC because of. You know, the 15-second rules, thanks to Janet Jackson, but... He's also performing. You know, he's got to have... You know, well, he, he's, he's not singing, performing the whole time. Part. You're telling me Eminem's up there doing Lose Yourself and he's not smoking a blunt behind him? Yeah, well, maybe he won't be on stage while Eminem's... Maybe he'll be, like, off stage. Maybe. Maybe he won't be particularly on stage, but I would be very amazed if by the end of the night uh, it doesn't happen. I, I would still go no, purely because of legal reasons... I think that the most exciting he can get, we were just talking about this before the podcast, is maybe he pulls out a, a bottle of gin when he's doing gin and juice uh, for whoever the NFL's mm. gin sponsor is. But uh, Aviation, Ron Reynolds. Aviation. Right, aviation. How could I forget? But uh, I think that that's about as R-rated as he gets, is maybe some gin. But what do you think? Well, Because California, let's not forget yeah. California, legalized weed. Yeah, that that's you know part of the reason why I think it's not inconceivable to think it could happen. And if you know anyone was going to have the audacity to do something like that 
on stage. I feel like Snoop, you know, he he's got the fan base and in the the what's the word in the seniority to uh, to kind of get away with that sort of action. But you know, speaking of R-rated, Eminem, another rapper who you know his music's not uh, not family friendly to say the least. How many times do you think he's gonna curse during his performance, Rotom? Over under one and a half. It's minus one twenty both ways. Or or do you think he's gonna curse at all? I would say probably yes, given that it's Eminem. Yeah, I would say probably yes, because I don't believe that they're really going to be able to convince Eminem to play his radio hits. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously he'll he'll have some, some strong names. My name is being the particularly good one. I feel like there there's some solid chances uh, that he plays like the real Slim Shady. But all of those songs are so heavily filled with, with, with curse words. Uh, and I, I don't believe that they're going to be able to censor him. I think the big question is, will he get cut off? Because, I mean, you know, they've got a sensor button uh, that very easily could cut off this, this stream. But what would it be like to be in SoFi Stadium knowing that the, the TV broadcast just cut out and you're just about to hear Eminem just go hard into a Without Me uh, verse 2, you know? There's a lot of possibilities. And if that's counted, if, if what we don't see on TV is 100% counted, absolutely shattering that over. Right, and and if they bleep out, you know, the certain words, does it still count as him cursing if everyone, you know, can see what he's saying on TV? We just can't hear it. It'd be interesting. It's an interesting way to lose money, potentially. That is an interesting way to lose money, just to see how uh, your bookie defines him cursing. Uh, but I think, you know, he's not the only one that's interesting. I feel like there's, there's a few other guys that we got to be interested in. I mean, Snoop Dogg. He's pretty up there, but Kendrick is a guy whose name we haven't yet to be talking about. But Kendrick Lamar, every song includes uh, a few words that I'm pretty sure the FCC would not be happy about him saying. Uh, do you think he's he's over that uh, 1.5 limit? You know, if he does yeah, Mad he... City, which I'm absolutely sure he does, there's uh, it's hard to sing that song without saying it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I, I actually saw Kendrick perform live, fun fact. Uh, a few years ago and you know that was a few years ago but uh needless to say he did curse quite a few times during that performance uh more than i can count and it's the super bowl so maybe he uh you know brings it down a notch but like you said with eminem i mean these guys it, they can't even go multiple lines without cursing half the time so i don't see how they wouldn't uh, do that in this performance yeah, I, I got to agree. Uh, you know, I, I've talked about a few songs now, and I, we don't have the odds in front of us. We did last year. We, we tried to pick what uh, what songs the weekend would play. But any other any other predictions and songs that are going to happen? Uh, like I said, I'd be amazed if nothing but a G thing is not like the opening track if, if Dr. Dre's opening. But, you know, with Snoop, you've got Gin and Juice, like I said, Drop It Like It's Hot, Ain't No Fun. Dre can also pull out Forget About Dre, California Love, uh, Explosive. Uh, if you want to hear Snoop do Nate mm. Dogg's part, any any Kendrick songs you're looking for, Manager Oblige, who we've barely talked about, uh, any songs you're looking forward to or think for sure are going to happen, Family Affair? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say because all of these artists obviously you know, have a huge catalog of hits. You just don't know how long each of them is going to have the spotlight on them on stage to perform you know, those said hits. But the one song that I'm looking out for, and I know you are also, is now or never the collab between Mary J. Blige and Kendrick Lamar off the Good Kid Mad City album. Uh, great song. The only song, to my knowledge, that Kendrick and Mary J. Blige have together. And the fact that they're both in this performance, 
or at least in this lineup, we need that collab. The world needs that collab. It has to happen. Oh, it absolutely has to happen. It would warm my heart oh so much. I think there's just it's now or it's now or never that it happens because this they'll never be on stage again. They ever, won't together. It's uh it it's quite impossible. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it's looking like a great halftime. I think it, it's going to be hard to updo the weekend from his fantastic performance last week. Uh, but let's move on to a few more. Obviously, we're talking about the City of Angels. A lot of stars going to show up. Uh, and I've got two interesting sets of these. First one is uh, mostly the stars. Who's going to get shown up with the game first, Frank? Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez, Kim Kardashian. The odds are pretty variable, but all roughly between plus 150 and plus 500. Uh, I, I, you know, which one of those do you think is is your favorite? Which which star gets shown first during the game? I mean, I think it's probably DiCaprio or Matt Damon, but I think there is some value there with with Jennifer Lopez at seven to two odds. Uh, Kim Kardashian's not a terrible sleeper at plus five hundred. You know, given she's been in the news uh, a lot recently, but she's been in the news for some not so great reasons. So I think uh, J Lo. A former, you know, Super Bowl halftime show performer herself not too long ago. Everyone seems to like J-Lo, right? They show them in the suite, but Affleck is grabbing a beverage. He's using the bathroom, and it's just J-Lo and the solo shot. I mean, give me those seven to two odds. Yeah, you got to wonder uh, how that's going to work. And also, let's not forget J-Lo. Uh, I'm sure her new movie with uh, Owen Wilson, Marry Me, is going to get uh, uh, promoted at some point. So it, there's, there's a very solid chance that she gets shown uh, early on in the movie. Though, that's a good one. Uh, let's move on to a second set. Uh, not really superstars. Uh, maybe a, a, a variable group of people here. Not really movie actors. Uh, some of them uh, movie actors more than others, if you're looking at the second guy on our list. But between some Laker legends, uh, L.A. favorites like Kevin Hart and Justin Timberlake, who gets shown first for this group? Magic Johnson, LeBron James, Kevin Hart, Justin Timberlake, and Clayton Kershaw. Uh, once again, pretty much anywhere between plus 200 to 500. Uh, and, you know, you got a few Lakers on here. Uh, Staples, not too far away. Sorry, Crypto, not too far away. Mm. Yeah, that's that's an adjustment, saying Crypto instead of Staples. I mean, we, we can just say Staples, right? I, I don't think anyone really wants to call it the Crypto. You know, the Crypt? Right? You're talking shit about the Crypt? No, no, no. I, I'm not. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, again, I mean, I think Magic, LeBron, you know, given they're the athletes, given their ties to... The city to the Lakers, uh, those are probably the two likely, most likely options. But, you know, I'll say Justin Timberlake plus 300, another ex-Super Bowl halftime show performer. I feel like if the conversation about the halftime show comes up early during the game, that that's my, my logic here with J-Lo and Justin Timberlake. You know, they have more ties to the actual Super Bowl than any of the any of these other people. And they're also celebrities at the same time. So maybe, you know, that gives them, uh, gives them, what's the word? That, that gives them the advantage, the on-screen advantage ahead of some of these other uh, famous people. You know, who, who cares about Magic Johnson over Justin Timberlake, right? Yeah, I feel like Johnson is a weird pick. I'd, I'd lean LeBron on that side. I agree with you on J-Lo, but LeBron is, is LeBron, you know? He's, he's going to come up. We've watched every TV show about sports in the world. They love talking about him. Feels like a good one. Mm. Um, you know, outside of the City of Stars, you know, they they, they got to have the whole show about where they show all the famous parts of L.A. Which one do you get things get shown first? The Hollywood sign or the Hollywood Walk of Fame? Hollywood sign minus 250. Walk of Fame plus 170. 
Yeah, I mean, I've never been to LA before, but obviously we know what these two, you know, what these two things are, what they mean. I think the Hollywood sign is much easier to show and it's just more generic. But Walk of Fame plus 170, you know, why why wouldn't they show the Walk of Fame? I mean, I'm, you know, there's obviously famous people on there, people who will be at the game in the stands who also might get shown. But plus 170, I think there's there's some value there. Do you have uh, an inclination one way or the other? Uh, I'd kind of be surprised if it's not Hollywood sign, and I think the odds reflect that just because, you know, it's a quick pan shot. You show the hill, you show, you show like, a few of the towers in front of the sign. Yeah. Walk of Fame, what part of the Walk of Fame do you show? You know, it's not like... this. The whole thing. The whole, They're panning down the, the entire, entire thing, thing. show every person's star. I mean, that would be interesting. That'd be a fun, that, that'd be a fun like, uh, intro where they show every player, but on the Walk of Fame. That'd be fun. But I do mm-hmm. think that... Uh, I think I'd go Hollywood sign there. Uh, Frank, I got one more for you. I don't know if you've got any more to add in the list on top of that. But, you know, we talked about a few people native to California. And we've been spending a lot of time talking about Dre <laughs> and Kendrick and LeBron and, and everyone who lives in, in Southern California. I know, I know exactly where you're but going there, with this. there is one person outside of Kid Cudi that I think we have to mention of nativity to Cincinnati. And he might be a big factor that we actually haven't mentioned about. And I'm glad that I've taken the Cincinnati Bengals in his name. Uh, and I think to the words of Sam Hubbard, uh, defensive end for the Bengals, uh, he is in the hearts of this locker room. So Frank, uh, in 2016, a very a big tragedy in American history happened in which a gorilla was, was murdered in the Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, and his picture is currently in the Cincinnati Bengals locker room. Will his name, Harambe, that is, be mentioned during the broadcast? We only have the odds on yes. And that odd is a plus 690, which makes me think these odds are a joke because it's 69. But anyways, you think Harambe will be said by Al Michaels or Chris Collinsworth. And if yes, which one of them do you think says it? I mean, we only need the odds on yes. We don't even need to know what the no number is because we're both going to say yes. And it, it needs to be yes. Harambe has to be mentioned it it's a disservice to him to cincinnati to the entire game if he's completely iced out of the broadcast and between the two i think chris collinsworth would probably be more likely to say it because i think it's more likely he actually you know is up to speed and up to date on the harambe situation than al michaels and that's just the sort of you know witty um cultural reference that Chris Collinsworth would make, right? I mean, he does that on the regular. And uh he a lot of times, you know, he's he's culturizing Al Michaels. So I think Collinsworth, if you're listening, you gotta name drop Harambe at some point. There there's a point in time where you can fit him into a conversation. He should be the conversation. He should be the conversation. And I think I think we didn't mention, you know, well while the Rams have home field advantage uh on the field. Home field advantage in the in the in the announcers booth uh, is Bengals. Chris Collinsworth went to both of the Bengals Super Bowl playing mm. for the team, and I think you had this quote for me. Uh, Collinsworth says Jamar Chase is a better wide receiver than he ever was. Uh, and seeing that Collinsworth went to two Super Bowls, uh, and I'm sure has a, a little a little Tiger blood in his in his heart, uh, we'll be very excited to see this team. I'm sure he's up to date in Cincinnati culture and Harambe. I'm sure it is time while playing for the Bengals. Definitely went to the Cincinnati Zoo to see him. Uh, I think he knows exactly who he is, and he'll say his name. So I think plus 690, if those odds are true and are in your sports book, <laughs> throw as much money as you can because he will be said, and he will be remembered. You know, uh, you know, could have been the best receiver in Bengals history is, is Harambe, but we'll never know because, unfortunately, 
Uh, well, we, we, you know, we know the story. Right, everyone knows the story. I mean, you know, if, if CJ Uzamoa does not play this weekend, had Harambe been alive, I, I truly believe he might have mm-hmm. been on the, on the short list to play tight end for the Bengals. Tight end one, Gronk recently said he wants to come play for the Bengals to play with Joe Burrow, but that, that spot wouldn't be open. Wouldn't even be open if Harambe's life had uh, had not been tragically taken from yeah. us. And uh, may he rest in peace. Frank, you got any more uh, prop bets for us? Can't say I do, Rodham, but we'd be reminisced if, if we didn't talk about, you know, another extremely important prop. You know, what, what actually ends the game, concludes this game. And it's uh, the Gatorade, the Gatorade color. I know that's one of your favorites. Uh, it is it is one of my favorites, and I think it's it's one of the most unpredictable, and I'm always blown away that people don't understand that it's equal odds. And uh, the fact that there's a favorite this year at plus 200 at orange uh, doesn't really make sense to me. And I get that the Bengals are orange. I don't really see how that works for the Rams, seeing that the Rams are the favorite here. But, uh, you know, I've, I've, done some, I've done some digging. You, you've presented me this nice little chart of every, every year going back to 2012. Uh, blue, orange, blue the last three years hasn't happened twice. I'm going bold. I'm going real bold. It's not happening this year, Frank. Mm-hmm. It's LA. People like things clean. I'm sure there's going to be superstars in the sidelines wearing fancy clothing. No one's pouring juice on Sean McVay or Zach. If it if it's Zach Taylor, maybe it happens. But no one's pouring juice on Sean McVay. He's going the Belichick route. He's going the Harbaugh route. So it is a uh, it is a good time. And I'm going none. We don't have odds on that though. We don't, and that's probably because it's, it's a boring selection. You know, I respect, I respect the, the the logic and the reasoning behind it, but I mean, if you had to pick a color, if you if you got a gun to your head like Harambe, and you have to pick a color, I mean, what which? What I mean, if pick? I had to pick a color, I I would stand with uh, clear as well. You know, uh, kind of going behind my same theory, it wouldn't stand any clothing as well as orange or yellow might have. Uh, and it also kind of fits. I, I, you mentioned the Bengals will be in, in their home whites. Uh, this would fit that theme. I think the, 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 I've seen pictures of the Rams having white Gatorade in their last Super Bowl. So maybe that's a, that's a little bit. Oh. But I think plus 450 for clear uh, right around. Th- Doing some research. A little, bit, a little bit of research. Just a little bit of research. But I'm going plus 450 if you can't get none. But uh, if you had to get a color. If you had to get a color, Frank, what color would you be going with? Well, I think orange and blue. I mean, it's obviously, obviously, it's obvious why those those are the two favorites. Not only, like you said, have those been the dominant colors over the past few years, but also the two colors of two primary colors of each of these teams. But you know, because of that, I'm going to go bold. Also, I'm going to think outside the box. I'm not going none, but I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say red plus eight hundred red slash pink. Uh, it's the second lowest odds behind purple, plus 1,000. But, you know, the funny thing is, Rodeman, and not, you know, a lot of people probably don't know this, but there's three coolers, three Gatorade coolers on the sideline. So, like you said, it's truly completely randomized, and it's just a matter of which cooler uh, the players choose, literally which one they pick up to dump on the coach. So, you know, it's a game of luck. It's a game of fortune. That's what makes this prop so fun because we truly have no idea but i'm gonna go red slash pink for plus eight hey, i like the boldness frank none of none of that none no gatorade nonsense we don't hold like on, that here. hold on i wouldn't say nonsense bill belichick 2017 john harbaugh 2013 it's happened twice in the last decade 
I'm thinking it's happening three times. I think Sean McVay or Jack Taylor are upstanding men that want to be clean when they give interviews. Yeah, I mean, that's fine, but you, you can just say you're a Powerade fan without you know saying you're a Powerade Listen, fan. I'm a Propel fan. That's the real clear here. They got barrels full of Propel mm. in there. Well, you know, we were saying earlier with Snoop Dogg, Gin and Juice song, you know, Gin... Aviation Gin is the sponsor of the NFL now. Maybe, uh, maybe instead of Gatorade, they they pour something else in those. Quarters. Hey, I'm just, clear is looking better and better every every one we mention. Uh, but that that is a good way to finish. But but before we actually finish, you know, we we had the prop at the very end of the game. Let's do the prop at the very beginning, Frank. Heads or tails? Easy answer. It's as easy as as picking Harambe to be mentioned. It's tails because tails never fails. Tails never fails. Never. True words have never been spoken, Frank. We got tails. We got red and pink. I got clear or not happening. Uh, we got uh, Joe Mixon on the end. Uh, we got Harambe. We got Harambe happening. We got, Harambe. We got uh, Snoop Dogg smoking a blunt. We got one of the greatest uh, halftime performances ever seen. We got two fantastic offenses. We got one of the greatest defenders of all time. This is going to be a terrific Super Bowl, and I, I truly can't wait. Well said, and uh, I agree completely. I'm very excited. Very excited. Uh, between now and then, make sure to check us out at PlayPod, both on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, for more news about the big game. Uh, we'll be seeing you afterwards. Uh, you know, maybe maybe even about the NFL honors uh, on Saturday. Hope to see a Rod uh, uh, wearing not Packers green, uh, wherever you'd be doing. But hey, uh, of course you can find me at Red Coffin. Frank, where can our listeners find you uh, with your victory tweet for the bad bad men? <laughs> can find me on twitter also at frank jp zero and uh wrote him you enjoy yourself a nice super bowl nice super bowl sunday happy valentine's day uh for everyone hung over the next day that's uh that's fun to look forward to and we'll see you next season